I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This episode may include topics, references, or discussions around sexual assault, domestic violence, stalking, physical violence, or subject matters that may be disturbing to some of our listeners. We do acknowledge that this content may be difficult. We also encourage you to care for your safety and well-being. Podcast Network Asia. Welcome to She Talks Peace, a podcast that highlights the role of women peacebuilders around the world in bringing lasting peace and security to their communities. Eavesdrop into their conversations and get to know their stories. From the Philippines to Malaysia, from Indonesia to Palestine, from Myanmar to the United States. Their dreams and their hopes for a world without violence and a world where every woman and girl can be whoever she wants to be. Hosted by Amina Rasul Bernardo, President of the Philippine Center for Islam and Democracy, and Dina Zaman, a Malaysian journalist and co-founder of Iman Research. This is She Talks Peace. Welcome to She Talks Peace, dear listeners. This is Amina Rasul of the Philippine Center for Islam and Democracy, greeting you from hot and humid Manila. Hi, Dina! Hi, hi, Amina. Hello, everyone. This is Dina from Iman Research Malaysia, greeting you from Kuala Lumpur. How are you coping with the heat, Amina? Oh, Dina, I think, or I try to think, cool thoughts floating (laughs) on the waters of a pool or the sea, imagining rain falling, imagining snow on pine trees. And if that doesn't work, turn on the aircon. How about you, Dina? The same. It's been really, really muggy over here in Kuala Lumpur and everywhere else, I think, in Malaysia. Yeah. Anyway, you know, I think what doesn't help also is reading up all the news on Ukraine, Afghanistan, the Middle East. Oh, the whole gamut, North Africa. Yeah, it's something we I have to do all of us, right? Since our That's work right. requires us to work. That's right. You're a journalist. no longer a journalist, but uh, <laughs> yeah, we've got to be well informed about what's happening in areas of conflict. So it doesn't really help with your anxiety, your anger, and all. Or heat. And, yes, and uh, you know what really upset me a lot was, you know, to be a woman. In those places, oh yeah, and, yeah, you know, rape being used as a weapon of war, like mm. what's happening in Ukraine. Yeah, I mean, uh, <laughs> I can see yeah. your face getting red and your the the, the steam yeah. rising from your from your hair. <laughs> yeah, but you know, Dina, you, you and I we're still lucky to be female mm-hmm. in Southeast Asia. Even when we even when we face all the problems of our patriarchal systems, but I know exactly what you mean about yes. uh, getting upset with all this news coming from, especially from Ukraine. 
I just read yeah. an article on Forbes.com and let me read it for you. Yeah. It said, where there is war, there is rape and rape used as a weapon of war. In the yeah. last few years only, we have seen Daesh, that's ISIS, right? Mm-hmm. Using rape as a weapon of war and a method of genocide against yeah. the Yazidi women and girls in Iraq. The same yeah. tactic has been used in Myanmar by the Burmese military against the Rohingya women, right. in Ethiopia against uh, Tigrayan women, and many more. As Putin's war in Ukraine rages on, allegations of the use of rape against Ukrainian women come to light. These mm-hmm. allegations are yet to be fully investigated. Yikes, Tina! Right. But there are rules of war, you know, approved by all the UN member states. Yeah. And, and these rules, or international humanitarian law as they call it, sets out what can and cannot be done during an armed yeah. conflict. Also, we can maintain some form of humanity and, and reduce yeah. the suffering of civilians. And this includes protection of, uh, of civilians. Mm-hmm. And yet, over and over again, these rules are violated. You would think yeah. in this day and age, especially in supposedly civilized Europe, that you wouldn't be really seeing the use of rape as a weapon of war by Russian soldiers. That is so sickening. I don't know, Dina. Well, you know, I'm really glad that we have a respected professor and author who can tell us more about these inhuman acts. Uh, professor Mia Bloom is an international security fellow at the New America and a professor at Georgia State University. She speaks eight languages. Eight? Yep, and has authored six books and over 70 articles on violent extremism, including Dying to Kill, The Allure of Suicide Terror, Living Together After Ethnic Killing, Bombshell, Women and Terror, and Small Arms, Children and Terror, and Pastels and Pedophiles, Inside the Mind of QAnon with Sofia Moskalenko. Her next book... Veiled Threats, Women and Jihad is expected to be published this year. Mm. Uh, Mia Bloom is a former term member of, of the Council of Foreign Relations and has held appointments at Cornell, Harvard, Princeton and McGill Universities. She serves on the Counter-Radicalization Boards of the Anti-Defamation League, the UN Counterterrorism Executive Directorate, Women Without Borders and Walsall, the Women's Alliance and Security Leadership Network. She has a PhD in political science from Columbia University, master's in Arab studies from Georgetown University, and has a bachelor's in Russian, Islamic, and Middle Eastern studies from McGill, and a pre-doctorate from Harvard Center from, uh, for International Studies, and a post-doctorate from Princeton. Very, very impressive. Wow. Where do you yeah. find the time? Welcome yes. to She Talks Peace, Mia. Thank you so much, Irina, for having me in. You know, Wassel is what brought us together, and Wassel, the sisterhood is what keeps us together. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, so welcome here. You've just released an article looking into rape by Russian soldiers in Ukraine, calling this a war crime, and all of us at Wassel read that. You have researched and written about rape during ethnic conflicts. You said that gender-based violence is motivated by a variety of reasons, such as the extraction of information and destroying the morale of the other side. 
Why do you call these rapes a war crime? Do you believe Russia has a deliberate campaign to kill, to torture, rape, and commit atrocities? I so think so. I think we're seeing it systematically carried out against Ukrainian women. And uh, one of the things that we were doing for the project, because, you know, Sofia is Ukrainian and she speaks Russian and Ukrainian. Um, there were a number of communications that Anonymous recently published and they made, pop, they made public that Russian soldiers were texting each other and making films of raping not just women, what? but children. So they, they were films. filming? They're filming it. Ooh. So it's a really horrible situation where women, you know, and part of it is in other conflicts, like you mentioned the Rohingya and you mentioned the Yazidis, ordinarily when rape is used as a weapon, part of its logic is to make the population run away. Mm. And I, one of the things I said in the article is, I don't think it's going to work in Ukraine yeah. because mm. one, the Ukrainian women are front okay. and center of the resistance. Right. But right. also, um, Ukrainian women are not being blamed for being raped the way, you know, Nigerian women are blamed if they were kidnapped by Boko Haram. Yeah. And even in, even in Iraq, uh, yeah. initially, the Yazidi council wasn't sure whether they would take the women back. Oh, now, they're, they've let the women come back, but the Yazidi leadership has said that the children born of Daesh cannot be taken back. So oh, you're wow. now making a woman have what we call like Sophie's choice. She either yeah, can yeah. go back to Mount Sinjar to her family, but she has to leave the baby or she can take the baby and go live in Germany. So we, we, we do see very often the reason that rape is used as a weapon is it undermines the, the most cohesive element of the community, which is the women. Yeah, you're, you're, you're right uh, when you say that they didn't count on the Ukrainian women being the way they are. In your article, you even wrote that, uh, and let me quote you, Putin describes Russia's invasion of Ukraine in sexual terms, quoting a Soviet-era punk group's lyrics about rape and necrophilia, which says, You sleep, my beauty. You're going to have to put up with it anyway. And the answer to that shocking statement um, uh, you said, uh, showed up in Lviv, Ukraine. That's where you can see posters of a woman in Ukrainian folk costume pushing a gun into Putin's mouth and saying, I'm not a beauty for you. Now, you know, many of our sisters in the Wassel work in conflict areas, and they also report rapes which are used to torture and demoralize. Mia, what can we do about it when powerful member states of the UN can't seem to do anything to stop Russia from these gross violations of humanitarian law? It's always going to be a challenge because, you know, um, Russia was kicked off of the Special Humanitarian Rights Working Group, which, I mean, the irony that it was on a human rights committee was ridiculous, but they're still on the Security Council. Yeah. And they can block anything that the UN does. They can just vote no. And so mm -hmm. Russia has, you know, it still has power from 50 years ago when it was a superpower. It's not a superpower. The fact that they thought they would take Ukraine in three days mm. and it's 45 days later. And they, they not only did they not take Ukraine, 
They were not welcomed as liberators. They were not welcomed with flowers by the civilians. I think that uh, it's, it's two things. Putin may have gotten some very bad information um, yeah. from the people around him because they were very afraid to tell him the truth. But also that uh, Russians have been living on this propaganda that not just dehumanizes Ukrainians, the way we saw Radio Les Mille Collines in Rwanda dehumanizing the Tutsi by calling them cockroaches or in, mm. in Bangladesh, Inyenzi. But oh. we also, we've also heard that, you know, um, children will call their parents in Russia to tell them about the war and the parents say, no, you're lying. Yeah, so I can't believe that. that. Oh. It, it's, really, it's really great that, you know, they... Uh, These, these Russian soldiers are so ill-equipped that they're using cell phones to communicate with each other and the Ukrainians are able to, to track them and capture all of these conversations which are now going to be yeah. evidence, right, Mia? Absolutely. And it's, it's a kind of evidence, you know, when we were doing this research uh, a few years ago on Daesh, on ISIS, um, one of the international organizations asked us to track like uh, massacres and genocide. And so we had a separate section of the research. And what's amazing to me is it's very, like if I describe to you what happened to Yazidis of Pocho, it sounds exactly what happened to, to the Ukrainians in Mariupol. So it's the same thing about having a selection, separating the men from the women taking the men somewhere else and shooting the men and killing them into a mass grave. And then with the women using sexual violence, that story is the same story from Kocho, April, 2014 is in Mariupol in March, 2022. Uh, Mia, let me just jump in here. When the Ukraine war, you know, uh, happened when it started, right? There were, we had a lot of calls, you know, And I remember one of the directors telling the media, saying that, you know, you may think that this war is far off. It has nothing to do with tiny countries like Malaysia, you know, the Philippines. But there will be an impact on Southeast Asia. Of course, we were derided a lot by certain countries for saying, oh, you know, you're just being utterly paranoid. But uh, perhaps maybe we are being paranoid because we're small, you know, we're not powerful. But that is a fear among Malaysians among even, you know, smaller countries like Singapore. Now, we are watching what's happening in Ukraine. And I'd like to know your thoughts about that. Are we just being overly, you know, worried? No, no, I think you're 100% right, Tina. I think one of the things that I learned, you know, because we're always learning more. I was in, yeah. I was in Doha for the Doha Forum. And uh, the Ukrainian first deputy foreign minister, uh, her name is Emina Zharapova. She is a Sunni Muslim woman. I didn't realize there are millions of Muslims in Ukraine. Wow. And she thinks that just like the Muslim Jihad went to Bosnia, went to Chechnya, went to Afghanistan, she thinks that there will be a wave of Mujahideen who will be going to Ukraine to fight Russia. And it's uh. very interesting. Imagine you're going to have You know, these Americans who just left Iraq and Afghanistan and they've been volunteering side by side with kind of the people that they were fighting 
four or five years ago. So it and, is a, and and helping a Jewish president. So 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 it's a Jewish president and a Muslim uh, foreign minister. And I will tell you, she herself was a very impressive woman. But I uh-huh. didn't realize how many Muslims are in Ukraine. And I think that the fact that Ukraine is so diverse, you have Korean Ukrainians of Korean descent. I think that, that that's definitely relevant for sm- smaller countries in Malaysia, in Indonesia, in Philippines, especially if we start seeing um, various clerics trying to encourage young men to go fight oh. on behalf of the Crimean Tatars. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. I must add in, Mia, I'm listening to this, and this is a bit of a wake-up call for me, you know. But I don't know whether you read the Malaysian papers. I told Amina this in our little WhatsApp group that um, our Islamic party, Parti Islam Malaysia, actually supports the Taliban and all. And the thing is that, you know, our counterterrorism chief, uh, DCP, SEC Norma, has said, you know, you cannot say this because this may actually influence young people, young men, to actually take up arms and go off to God knows wherever because they think this is part of their jihad. And on that note, I'd like you know I would like to know what you think. What are your thoughts about violent extremism overall? I think the biggest mistake that people make, you know, when Muslims talk about support of jihad, and they they conflate or they reverse the major jihad and the minor jihad. You know, the major jihad, especially we are in the middle of Ramadan. The major jihad is to be a good Muslim and to fast during Ramadan. Right to right. pray five times a day, to give salat, like to salat for prayer and to give zakat for charity. And that is the, that's the primary jihad. Jihad is a struggle within ourselves. Mm-hmm. The lesser jihad is what, what we talk uh-huh. about in the West when we talk about jihad, this quote unquote holy war. And I think that this is the problem that even some Muslims may not realize that the more important jihad is the jihad in yourself and it's not to go off and fight. And, and again, a lot of it depends on the way in which the conflict is framed. You know, is it a defensive jihad or is it, you know, an expansion? Is it an opportunity for Islam to be larger or is Islam on the defensive? When Islam's on the defensive, then a lot of the rules of war that are in Islam are, are actually suspended, you know, um, a child can go without the 
parents' permission. A woman right. can participate without her husband's permission. Mm-hmm. You can even go if you owe money, but you don't mm. have to pay off all your debts. Mm. So I, I think that it's important as we move forward that, that Muslims at least know that the major jihad is is being a good Muslim and that this lesser jihad is is the jihad that yeah, we think that's, of. Uh, that, that's something that we keep um, uh, reiterating wherever we have our conversations about the greater jihad and, and the lesser jihad. But, you know, these uh, extreme fundamentalist groups, when they talk of jihad, they're really referencing uh, the lesser jihad, which which makes me want to uh, turn to another subject, which has fascinated and terrified us in Southeast Asia all at the same time. And it's violent extremism in the United States, which erupted in the January 6th insurrection where thousands of Trump followers seized the U.S. Capitol chanting, Hang Mike Pence! My God, hang the Vice President! You are the co-author of uh, the book that Dina mentioned, uh, Pastels and Pedophiles. By the way, congratulations, Mia. It's a New York Times editor's top 10 recommended read. And it's, you it's, and- it's not top 10 selling. It's just recommended. It's that's, not best selling. For, for me, that's more important. And you and Sophia take us down the QAnon rabbit hole and analyze how this uh, conspiracy theory has ensnared hundreds of thousands, if not millions of Americans who actually believe they have to help Trump, of all people, Trump fight a cabal of Satan-worshipping pedophiles in Washington, D.C., mostly Democrats, how did such a ridiculous idea ensnare these Americans to become such Trump loyalists? Yeah, how? <laughs> we, we've, had, we've had conspiracy theories in the United States for a long time. I mean, the joke that Benjamin Franklin used to make is you could have a conspiracy between three people if two of them died. It's very hard to keep it a secret. <laughs> so this idea that there is this global cabal of Democrats and and elites in Hollywood and the Royal Windsor family and and Jews that, you know, this whole, uh, that they've been running politics for hundreds of years. If if there really was a conspiracy, it would have been leaked by now. So I think what happened was a lot of the stuff that we now associate with QAnon, the drinking of children's blood, um, a global cabal that is controlling politics, This has a long history uh, in not just the United States, but in Europe with anti-Semitism, when in 1903, the Tsarist secret police created a fake pamphlet called the Protocols of the Elders of Zion. And the argument was that there were Jews in all these different countries, and they would meet in a cemetery to plot taking over the world. And, And inside QAnon, one of the things that's very unique about the conspiracy theory is that it has become an umbrella organization almost, welcoming in all the other conspiracy theories, even ones that existed 20 years before QAnon, you know, came onto the internet. So in as part of QAnon, you have the belief that the earth is flat, that the um, that there was no moon landing, that there are lizard people, that there are people yeah. that really like serpents that yeah, look yeah. like a human. 
you also have this idea that the 9-11 was an inside job. So what this one conspiracy QAnon is able to do is it embraces all the other conspiracies. And that's, I think, how it got so large. They, they act, Idina, they were actually able to, you know, weave all of these conspiracies together and you come up with this amazing textile of, of a, a conspiracy that Trump really uh, uses. What do you think about that, Dina? You know, what worries me, just listen to Mia, right? You know, the last two years when we had this COVID pandemic, I met so many, not just Muslims, but also Christians in Malaysia, right? Who supported Trump, who believed in the Freemasons, who believed in the Illuminati. We have a Freemasons in Malaysia, you know? The other thing that you mentioned, Amina, is that, you know, they've done these surveys. American Enterprises Institute, which is a conservative think tank, has done a survey and they don't say, are you QAnon? Because after they were deplatformed, deplatformed in 20, um, 2020 in the summer, uh, QAnon people were told, don't say that you're Q. In the same way that ISIS told people, don't say you're ISIS. Um, but do you agree with the statement that there's a blood drinking cabal that is undermining President Trump and that they control the world? And if these uh, surveys that they've done are representative samples, we're looking at as many as 30 million U.S. adults. And it has spread. Indonesia is one of the places where QAnon has become the most popular, along with UK, Germany, and Canada. How do you, how'd you track that? Uh, where, where did the data come from, Mia? So there, there are a number of different tools that they use. Um, something called CrowdTangle allows you to track the popularity of like a hashtag or um, a particular uh, Facebook groups. And so we, we can track. The data was done, though, in, the, in London by the Institute for Strategic Dialogue, ISD. And ISD produced these maps to show that it's always, you know, U.S. and Canada, but then the next few countries in the top five are changing. Sometimes it's Germany, sometimes it's Indonesia, sometimes it's U.K., and so the most popular ones keep switching back and forth. But I was very surprised because in most of the Islamic world, we have not seen a lot of QAnon. And we've been doing a study in Arabic. We've been looking for it. And uh, we've, I, I don't know if being a Muslim inoculates you from this crazy belief. Maybe you have other crazy beliefs, but maybe as a Muslim, QAnon is just not very persuasive, despite the fact that there is a tradition of conspiracy theory in parts of the Islamic world. They, in Arabic, it's called Muammarat, mm -hmm. conspiracies. Yeah, but um, maybe not QAnon uh, seizing the, uh, the minds of uh, right-wing uh, leaders in, in Southeast Asia, for instance, but the uh, far-right extremism that seems to have captured the Republican Party is really a cancer that will not just uh, weaken, but actually destroy democracy in the United States as you know it, but what we fear will infect us here in, in the Philippines and Indonesia. And um, in your book, um, Pastels and, and Pedophiles, you actually think there's a way out. So what's the way out, Mia? 
Well, the nice thing is, you know, my co-author, Sofia Moskalenko, is a social psychologist. She's a trained clinician. And we did something a little bit different. You know, ordinarily academic books don't have a chapter on how do you fix this? And we, we looked at the numbers and we were very concerned that maybe someone has in their family uh, a QAnon believer or uh, within their friends or someone that they work with. And the idea was that there's probably, if it's 30 million people, there's a good chance that you know somebody who believes in this, but it's not like all or nothing. It's not like you either believe in QAnon or you don't. There are different degrees of QAnon-ness. And so what Sophia did in that last chapter is she was like, okay, we're going to show you how you pull people out. What are some of the influences that uh, are causing people to believe in conspiracies? But then what are some of the psychological tools that you can use to either get someone out or inoculate them against it? And I think, you know, it's not just the obvious, which is media literacy. We always talk about how important that is, but it's also spending less time on your devices. And and Sophia was like, interestingly enough, there's a psychologically validated experiments. Just going out for a walk for 10 minutes a day makes you less susceptible to conspiracy theory. And so, you know, she advocates a bunch of different things. The last thing that she's advocating is kind of MBSR. It's a mindfulness training where you don't have to sort of the way you do with Alcoholics Anonymous or, uh, or Drug Anon. You don't have to say, you know, my name is Mia, I'm an alcoholic. And you don't have to admit anything. So with the MBSR, there are free trainings online that you can do for mindfulness. And that also helps. Um, inoculate someone from QAnon. But the other thing that we advocated is that uh, we shouldn't treat the people who believe in QAnon like they're stupid and crazy. Instead, we need to approach them with understanding and love because they are suffering. And if they were suffering to become vulnerable to QAnon, and then once they're in QAnon, they're consuming videos and other materials that itself are going to cause a trauma. So they're being re-traumatized every day. The only, I know this because I'm seeing what they see and what they see, like you were saying before, Amina, such horrible stuff. And it makes them, you know, very anxious. And so some of the treatments and some of the inoculation strategies are to try to deal with the anxiety and, and give people the tools to be psychologically okay. It sounds like a, a disease and the pandemic, you know, being um, shut down, shut off from the world for two years really uh, uh, did us in and exacerbated the influence, right, of, uh, of uh, the Internet. But um, this is the thing, Mia. I mean, this um, ways of inoculating yourself, it works if you're aware and you want to change. But for majority, uh, they're not aware that there's something wrong. And um, I was listening to the analysis of uh, two uh, reporters and, and analysts looking at the impact of um, uh, Fox uh, viewers, for instance. They actually paid a large group Oh, this is really crazy, Dina, but fascinating. They they paid this large group of regular Fox viewers 
to stop listening to Fox and listen to CNN for a month. And this was in 2020. And then they tracked how they responded to certain questions. And they noted that there were changes in opinions just based on the information that they were receiving. But the question is, Mia, uh-huh. how do you make people listen, want to listen to more balanced reporting? What is the, what's, what's the responsibility of media and how can your government make media more responsible in balanced news reporting? I mean, the challenge, of course, is because the United States has a First Amendment. It's different than Canada and UK. So, for example, hate speech in Canada and UK, it's illegal. In the United States, it's not illegal. So it's not illegal for Fox News to instead say, well, it's not really a news program. It's an editorial program when they're talking about Laura Ingram or Tucker Carlson. Um, But the fact is that all of the people that were doing news, like Shep Smith and Chris Wallace, left Fox News. They're not at Fox anymore. So so they really, um, uh, Shep is at CNBC. And yes, and Chris Wallace is CNN Plus. But I think that the problem is ultimately, we now have a world in which um, we can insulate ourselves from different opinions. We exist in these echo chambers where the only thing we listen to are things that we agree with. And we never consume material from the other side. So, you know, um, one of the findings of that study that was um, that the, the study that you cited, cited out of Berkeley was that Fox News wasn't even talking about, you know, that the things were not going well in the pandemic and that the United States was not doing as well as other countries. But they said the opposite was true, too, that CNN did not cover the Abraham Accords at the same rate that Fox News covered it. And so that was good news for President Trump that CNN wasn't covering and that Fox News was not covering bad news for President Trump. But I don't know how many of those uh, viewers that were paid to watch CNN for a month instead. Um, I think, according to the study, many of them just went back to Fox News at the end. So these, these effects might be temporary. One of the things that we've learned from, let's say, um, uh, studies that have been done in Africa, having the news presented with two sides in a debate is not good. It it actually radicalizes people. Instead of having the two sides and that you give equal weight to the two sides, there are different ways to convince people not to be radical, um, but maybe they will be done in a soap opera or in a radio program, like not in the news. But the news as it's as it's structured now, where you have, you know, left and right arguing with each other, people will just ignore that. And and they'll only hear the parts that they agree with, which is, you know, uh, confirmation bias. That's what they call it. Yeah. Dina, you're you're the former journalist. So (laughs) what what do you see happening with our media? Because our media, well, Malaysian media is more partial to the state. And Philippine media has become more partial to the state in the last uh, three, four years. It could change. But what do you think about uh, about this situation? I mean, are we going to be seeing media actually polarizing um, different groups? 
okay, during my time, once upon a time ago, <laughs> there was a lot of space for us to actually, you know, vent our feelings, write about the things. But unfortunately, okay, people move on from the media. That's one. Two, we have very, very few reporters or analysts who can actually write and talk about political you know, situations such as this, right? About violent extremism. I was involved with a workshop last year. And I'll tell you this, Amina and Mia, right? As an ex-editor, when you have senior reporters telling us, we don't want this handbook, this is just too much for us to digest. We're only here for the free food and because our editors sent us. You are a senior reporter. You don't even want to analyze this. And they will actually say, we have, they've actually said this. When you talk about violent extremism, it does not apply to Malaysia. Mia, I, I used to write for the media and I used to have a column. In the end, I was asked about two, three years ago from a mainstream newspaper. Why? Our readers prefer business, but you were the one who wanted me to write this. I tried the alternative media outlets and it changed everything. They fudged up out loud the data and I ended up screaming like, and they said, look, if you want to write academic papers, write for an academic journal. I said, you cannot play around with data. These are numbers. These are So in that sense, I don't really have faith in, Mal in Malaysian journalism because there are just way too... There are good ones, like Zurairi, who actually studies. But how many Zurairis are there in Malaysia? Yeah? But just, you know, when, before we were interrupted just now, I was listening to what you were saying, you know, Mia, and QAnon. Conspiracy theories in Malaysia, you make you, whether you want to believe it or not, in Malaysia, Muslims, Christians actually follow QAnon. They believe in Trump because they say, you know, we do have uh, similar, uh, we share similar enemies uh, like what? The LGBTs, corruption. Uh, we believe, I mean, I got this from the pastors themselves that Trump is like Christ. And I thought, okay, I'm not going to say anything because this is not my religion, you know. And the Muslims, I see, he is right. He's actually helping the whites, uh, white Americans, just like how we should be helping only just Muslims. We are on par. And as I was listening to this, I thought, we're so similar, but it worries me just how you talked about Ukraine. If we all band together for the wrong reasons, uh, <laughs> I think um, we're not in for a very safe time. Yeah, and I don't I'll be honest with you. I was very surprised that QAnon. You yeah. know, I was telling Amina uh -huh. that we looked in the book. There's a map, and it tracks QAnon Facebook groups around the world in different languages. Mm. And Indonesia is was one of the top yeah. places with QAnon. But I don't understand because in other Muslim countries, QAnon is not very popular. So it's not in Saudi Arabia, and it's not in Lebanon, it's not in Egypt. And, and so the question then becomes, well, you know, we were looking at the Muhammadat, the conspiracy theories in Arabic, and you see vaccine hesitancy, but you don't see this thing about pedophilia. And we looked, like we looked, we looked for pedophilia with a B, because, you know, there's no P in Arabic. Or we looked, which is uh, love of children, like another sexual love. Right. We looked at every different permutation in Arabic to try to find if they're talking uh -huh. about it. No, but Duterte is talking about it. And in Malaysia, mm. they might be talking about it. So I don't know if because of proximity to Philippines that it's influencing Malaysia and Indonesia. 
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. You know, in the case of uh, Indonesia, I don't know about Malaysia, but in the case of Indonesia, um, several areas in Indonesia are very, very popular for tourists from Australia, from the United States, from, um, from Europe. And uh, the cases of pedophilia in those uh, areas is, is, uh, has become high. So that could be one, uh, one source for, for the entry of this uh, uh, belief that the QAnon is going to protect our children from, from pedophilia. I'm also wondering if uh, because of the presence of evangelicals, you know, there are a lot of Christian missionaries. That is also yes. true. And you're not going to see those in Saudi Arabia. So yeah. I'm wondering if maybe it's coming with the Christian missionaries, the way anti-Semitism was imported to Syria in 1858, not because Muslims and Arabs hated Jews. It was brought with the Catholic Church when the Catholics came to Syria and Lebanon. So I'm just wondering if maybe the missionaries might be bringing it. Oh my God! Everywhere, everywhere we turn, Dina, we're being hammered by all kinds of influences. It's not just the problems we have domestically, but problems yeah. that are being exported to, to us. And yeah, well, I need positive thoughts. So, <laughs> Mia, give us positive thoughts about how we can stand our ground and protect our our safe space, our, our democratic space. You're the best to ask because you speak eight languages and you've done so much research on the, on the subject. So please give us positive thoughts, Mia. I'm going to try and find like the silver lining. I think yes. that, okay, so when we look at the war in Ukraine, uh -huh. it's very likely that Vladimir Putin looked at a divided United States, uh, a divided NATO and a divided Europe and assume that this was this was going to be easy and not that the Ukraine war is a good thing at all, but it clearly has brought the world together it, with one voice against certain war crimes, crimes of genocide or what mm -hmm. I call gender side when you are targeting women. Um, I think the, the, the silver lining for QAnon is that if people have these beliefs if you approach them the right way, you can get yeah. them out. It's not a permanent, you know, forever belief. It's not like um, they're going to stick to it indefinitely if you can find a way to bring them back to the light. 
So I think that it's something that um, people can get over. They can, they can be um, cured of their QAnon beliefs. And so those are my two, my two silver linings. One, that we can help the people uh, who believe right. in QAnon away from it. And that this war, while it's a terrible thing and it's had a terrible effect, as we know, uh, in Busha and other places where civilian casualties, and even that they bombed a, a train station uh, in, the, in the south and, and west. And, uh, we, we really have to speak with one voice that this kind of crime is a crime everywhere. It's not just a crime when the victims are white. It's not just a crime when the victims are European. That as much as we're interested, we should be interested in Tigray, we should be interested again in Yemen. We have to stop these attacks against civilians and especially women all over the world, regardless of what color of the skin and what religion, we have to speak with one voice. Thank you for that, Mia. Uh, you know, being a Filipino, I, I can really, uh, that, that, that idea uh, really resonates because when uh, the Filipinos as a nation came together and kicked out the dictator Ferdinand Marcos, it was people, ordinary people, elite coming together in this one street in Edsa, standing their grounds against tanks, refusing to move. And actually being able to move the people in the tanks themselves so that they turned against the generals. And Ukraine, the Ukrainian people are, are showing us with their resilience how important it is to protect your democratic space because that's where you can operate with liberty. You're not going to be controlled by one state ideology. And I think, Dina, you and I, we have our work cut out for us, uh, yeah. talking to the people <laughs> around us, sharing ideas, making them listen to uh, our podcast, She Talks Peace. And uh, who knows, maybe we can get Mia to lecture in universities in Malaysia and in the Philippines. What do you it, would, it, would be my, it would be my pleasure. I was in, let's see, I'm trying to think. I was in Singapore uh, lecturing... Uh -huh at the university there just once a long time ago uh mm -hmm. it was it, it's a and i really love chili crab so anytime <laughs> i can go to philippines all right and i've even started learning um como estabo. i'm learning a little bit <laughs> yes. so if i come visit i'll speak a little bit the language yeah <laughs> so what do you think what do you think dina let's, let's work on that good you should get a fellowship here. Unfortunately, we can't offer you a fellowship, but you should be here for six months to a year because Malaysia is, well, I, I suppose all of us Southeast Asian, as we always say, our countries are very odd, you know, and dynamic. But yeah, Southeast Asia is a very interesting place to be right now. So thank you so much, Mia, for joining us and... Um, sharing the findings, the insights from your, your article on rape, as well as your fascinating yeah. book on uh, pastels and pedophilia. Uh, by the way, Mia, I, I, I could only read excerpts of your book because it's not available in the Philippines and uh, I, I don't know what's wrong with, with Amazon. But I'm going to, 
when when we see each other in the Maldives, do bring your books along so we could buy it there. What do you think? No, no, no. Of course, I'll bring you. I'm happy. I mean, I'm happy to bring you a copy. I don't know what's going on because I had asked for the the coupon codes, but it's the same thing. The iBooks only works in U.S., and Audible.com only works in U.S. and Canada. So I think that uh, um, uh, I will try to see if there's, I think you can maybe only get the first chapter for free online. Yeah. But I will, of course, bring you a copy. It will be my pleasure. That's wonderful. Right. So thank you so much, Mia, for joining us today on She Talks Peace. And I'm sure mm-hmm. that our listeners got an earful and got some encouragement about uh, the way out of the rabbit hole. Don't you think, Bina? Yes, yes, I completely agree. The t- talk should be longer, but, yeah. you know, as usual. Yeah. <laughs> well, Dina, yeah. I mean, thank you so much for inviting right. me. And I'm very happy, you know, that Iftar ended when it did, because if we'd had dessert, I would have been late. <laughs> it worked out. It worked out. I really thought well. this was... I really thought I was getting up at eight o'clock tomorrow morning for this. So this worked out beautifully. <laughs> and plus you got to see, you got to see the, my friend your, from Twitter made this with beads. Your so you got to see my necklace. Beautiful necklace. Oh, I wish our listeners could see that. Maybe yeah. they could order from your friend. On, on I told her she yeah. should make it. I told her she should make it into a business. So Absolutely, I will see yes. you all. I'll see you both in Maldives. I'm looking forward Inshallah. to seeing you. Inshallah. Right. See Bye-bye. you soon. Yes. All right. So to our dear listeners, Dina, thank you so much for joining us. This Uh is Amina Rasul saying peace, salam, shalom to to everyone. And uh, I hope to those who are fasting that your Ramadan is a delight, is blessed, and have fun with iftar. Dina? Yes. Um, ditto to all that you said, you know, to all our listeners. Thank you so much for being with us. Take care. Bye. Bye. She Talks Peace is brought to you in partnership with Podcast Network Asia and Podmetrics, the easiest way to monetize your podcast. For more information, check out their website at podcastnetwork.asia and podmetrics.co. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast creators, hosts, and guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy and position of Podcast Network Asia, the hosts of the program, or other programs of the network. Any content provided by the people on the podcast are of their own opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything.